0: This is an RNZ podcast. Uh, Radio what? New Zealand digital journalist has been stood down after oh it emerged. God. They'd been editing news stories on the broadcaster's website to give them a pro-Russian slant, which is kind of disgusting, and you'd never get infiltration like that on seven days. Our security is too strong. It's strong like a bear, strong like the glorious Russian state and its leader Putin. Our security <laughs> is not weak like the West. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, look coming a bit so I just read the words, I don't
1: know what I said. That was comedian Jeremy Corbett on the TV Channel 3's weekly news quiz Seven Days back in June, after it emerged that international news agency stories had been inappropriately edited by a staff member at RNZ. Initially it was pro-Russian perspectives and a little loaded language inserted in stories relating to the war in Ukraine, which got spotted by RNZ website users overseas. At the time, Chief Executive Paul Thompson even called this pro-Kremlin garbage, and that made some headlines, and politicians demanded answers about why RNZ might be carrying what they called foreign propaganda. At the time, RNZ tightened editorial checks and stood down an online journalist who'd been working remotely, and the suspended journalist who later resigned told Checkpoint that he'd edited news reports in that way for about five years, and no one had ever queried it or told him to stop. RNZ then audited the stories edited by that staff member and eventually discovered 49 that they deemed inappropriately edited. And then external experts were appointed to look at the problem and how RNZ should respond. Well, taking all this a bit more seriously than seven days at that time was Brent Edwards, a former RNZ newsgathering chief who's now political editor at NBR. I technically had no responsibility whatsoever for what, what went on the web. That's a completely separate... Digital is separate from news. And it was always the point of mine, I thought, that that news should have run digital, that it should have been one single sort of organisation. And so, I I mean, I think that partly plays into it. And I would imagine from this panel that's set up, maybe one of the recommendations they might make would be that digital should be integrated as part of the, the news division and therefore a lot more editorial control than imposed on what goes on the web. Well, this week, that expert panel reported back, and that was indeed a key recommendation of their review that RNZ says has so far cost the thick end of a quarter of a million dollars. On Checkpoint, RNZ's chair, Dr Jim Mather, said it was worth it, though, because it sets out how RNZ could fix the problem for the future. But the problem wasn't just one person. As the panel put it, breaching trust and damaging RNZ's reputation for accurate and balanced journalism. The panel said that busy, poorly resourced digital news team members were not adequately supervised or trained. Outdated technology, organisational silos and a lack of trust between the digital news team and the main newsroom were also cited by RNZ staff the panel spoke to, and all these, the panel said, were factors that reduced the oversight of editorial standards. Indeed, the report also says that the journalist responsible for the inappropriate editing Also, twice suggested himself that additional positions would ease the workload and improve online news at RNZ. One was the creation of a check sub, a sub-editor who could assist with final oversight and editing of content before publication. The other was the creation of a specialist world news journalist who could oversee all international coverage. In both cases, one of the key factors cited in Not Proceeding was a lack of funding and resources. And on RNZ's Checkpoint last Thursday, the host Lisa Owen asked the chair, Dr Jim Mather, had RNZ effectively let down its former staffer.
2: Is he the full guy in
1: this? Uh,
2: Lisa, I never want to find uh, an individual to um, um, lay responsibility uh, with or, you know, identify a fool guy. I have uh, empathy for the uh, journalist and his situation. Uh, He felt that he was doing the right thing. He'd been doing it for a long period of time. Uh, The report clearly identifies he didn't receive the uh, required level of training, support and oversight. So I think there's some significant questions that we as an organisation do need to be asking ourselves.
1: But not so forgiving was the co-editor of Newsroom, Mark Jennings, when he appeared on RNZ's morning report, On Thursday, I was also surprised with the
2: sympathy the panel showed for the journalist who caused this incident. Um, They seemed to believe that he was a misguided soul with no deliberate attempt to breach um, editorial standards um, and that he wasn't um, inserting his own opinions uh, with pro Russian propaganda. Yeah, he he was inserting his own opinions. I've got no doubt about that. I mean, Thompson did say it was pro-Kremlin garbage and that, according to the panel, was unhelpful in maintaining trust. Um, And Mather said that the incident had eroded public trust uh, and he he was extremely disappointed. And it wasn't just pro-Kremlin. It was pro-China, it was anti-America and it was anti-Israel. I think the criticism of Mater and Thompson uh, was unjustified. What were they supposed to do, try and spin this?
1: Well, then they would have got hammered. Well, RNZ said this week it has accepted all the panel's recommendations, some of which it says it was already implementing, such as a new role focused on editorial standards and building trust and updating in-house editorial technology. But there's more, and it all falls to RNZ's CEO and Editor-in-Chief Paul Thompson to do the putting right it's 49 stories. Um, interesting, the
0: independent review panel felt we didn't probably need to correct in their view as many as we corrected. So Yeah, what we do you make
1: of that? That some of them, an un- unspecified number of the 49 they felt were not necessarily inappropriate? Well, some of them, it was very obvious they were inappropriate.
0: Some of them, they were more finely balanced. And I think the report even says that the panel itself didn't agree on all of the ones that should have been corrected. So there's a degree of subjectivity in the margins for some of these things. As editor-in-chief, we're responsible for correcting the things that we felt we needed to correct, and it was
1: 49 stories in our view in the end. In the end, are you concerned that RNZ's reputation has been lowered in the eyes of either New Zealanders or even the likes of Reuters? People overseas will be reading about this and reading about uh, RNZ being an organisation at which such things can happen. Uh, that has to be a concern.
0: We actually have really high editorial standards across the board at RNZ, and the independent review panel goes to some lengths to kind of affirm that. So when there is a breach, it really hurts. Going backwards a little bit in the estimation of some of the public, but I do think that inappropriate editing, while serious, does need to be kept in context. It was, you know, 49 stories in the end. It was one person. I think the recommendations are positive, and if we get uh, that those things in place and actually look to really um, do better in those areas,
1: I think that the trust will be there. You yourself were criticised in the report for possibly amplifying the perception the trust had been damaged You're using that language pro Kremlin garbage. Uh, do you agree with their the conclusion on that, and if so, do you regret it now?
0: The independent review panel was entitled to its opinion on my use of language, and it was strong language. My view of what happened and the panel's view of what happened is the same. The editing was inappropriate. It affected the balance. It introduced um, unreliable information, and there was um, a pro-Russian bias in the copy. They didn't like the fact that I used
1: a very strong term to describe it. One key change then is that they're saying the same oversight of web news as the main news operation should now be put in place. I mean, easy to do that? Is it just a change of the chart? Uh, Certain people report to other people and extending people's oversight, or is it actually harder than that? Just to give a bit of context, we're talking about quite a
0: small group of people. There's about a dozen web editors, web news editors, who'll be coming across to sit within the news team. Um, But you do need to go. about it properly and we don't want to create more problems by rushing it. So we'll get on to that in the next month or two. I do think it's important that the new chief news officer, Mark Stevens, who's coming uh, in about a month's time, has input into that. So we'll get through that in the next couple of months. But Mark does need to kind of be
1: here to kind of help lead it. Well, the report panel made a point uh, so-called legacy media that had gone digital often had the split initially when they went online. They would have a whole separate bunch of people with the expertise doing it, uh, but most had moved past that and integrated uh, all their digital news operations and whatever news other news operation they have. I mean, did, did you not see that as a you know, long-time editor and editor-in-chief here, that this was something that, that was passed its sell-by date and you should have responded earlier? We're integrated across RNZ
0: in that everyone works across platforms, So that's how we do podcasts and social media. That's how we have a functioning website. It's not done by 12 people. It's done by all of us. You do it in your work as well. So um, what we're talking about is that function of editing news and the benefits of that being brought together where everyone who's editing news is working under the same direction. You know, that's something which we did need to do. In May, we we wrestled with this and decided it was time to make that change. And within a couple of weeks, we were thrown into this crisis. So uh, I have no problem with that recommendation. Should we have got onto it sooner? Probably. And yeah, I'll take responsibility for that.
1: Well, the report also says that the journalist responsible for the inappropriate editing himself twice suggested additional positions would ease the workload and improve online news. The guy at the heart of the story is saying... There should have been more oversight, and that he said so more than once?
0: People have uh, views on the area they work and ideas for new roles and boosting resourcing. You know, we have been constrained on funding, we just couldn't magic up those positions. Uh, And even if we agreed with his suggestion, didn't mean that we would have had the resources to do it. And it probably wouldn't have stopped him doing what he did it given that he's the one proposing it and he's the one who did the editing.
1: But but in the end though if he said uh, according to the report that he was told at the time the key factors not proceeding with those suggestions of these extra check subs was a lack of funding and resources. I mean in the end is this a product of RNZ doing a digital transition kind of on the cheap but having those big stretch goals meant that And there wasn't the level of oversight that you should have had.
0: Yeah, we've always had, in my time here, had constrained resources and constrained funding. And even where we've received funding increases, it hasn't kept up with the real cost of doing what we have always done and then doing these new things. So it has been a challenge and we have been stretched. The counterfactual to that is if we hadn't pushed ourselves to move into those areas, even though it has been hard, we'd be way behind where we would need to be in terms of looking after audiences not only on broadcast, not only on radio, but in, on digital channels. But yeah, definitely, um, it's a it's a fair comment. The good part of that is that we now, you know, we've now received that material funding increase. It kicked in a month ago, and it will mean that we can resource
1: digital for the first time um, to the level it needs to be. As it's been pointed out throughout this process by some people, uh, that it's unusual to have a chief executive who's also the editor in chief as you are maybe that's because it's a different sort of job at as a commercial organization as a as a chief executive you'd be dealing with all sorts of commercial concerns that you don't have to in a publicly funded organization but is that a factor here if, if the report says training is a bit patchy the oversight isn't what it could have been is is that partly because you perhaps didn't have Another editor-in-chief may be telling you as CEO, look, boss, this is suboptimal. You didn't have anyone saying that? I don't
0: think so. You know, it's quite common practice in public broadcasters to have the editor-in-chief and the chief executive sitting in one position. It's not unusual. That tends to be how it works. There has always been a, a layer of executive people, and we've got a lot of editors and program managers and bureau chiefs who... You know, together we're all responsible for supporting our people, training our people and fixing mistakes and dealing with complaints. So I don't think um, it would have been an immediate fix. It's that the me- new
1: editorial standards. Role yeah, that's, it's an
0: editorial director, uh, someone who can live and breathe the stuff. And I think that's a
1: very positive thing. And again, we've got the resourcing now to do it. So that's happening. And also, as we mentioned, the aligning of the uh, web news, the online news operation with the main news. Operation as, as the panel has recommended, uh, another issue they've uh, talked about is balance. Uh, the report says the editorial policy, while strong, uh, needs some changes in how RNZ considers balance. And some of this was gone over prior to the process of the merger, which didn't go ahead, which looked at the existing editorial policies of RNZ and TVNZ. Uh, Do do you agree where it says here, the the RNZ, in the report, the RNZ policy focuses strongly on the need to achieve balance without going into detail about what constitutes journalistic balance?
0: The uh, recommendation that we actually have a look at, giving all of us a bit more of a guide of what we mean by balance and how you bring that to life in our work is a good idea. Looking at things like not just giving both sides of a contentious argument 50% of the airtime or the word count, it's more around looking at where the weight of evidence is, assessing how uh, commonplace a, a, a controversial view is in the community, looking at what balance means in different formats, and news, documentaries, comedy shows. So we can build out a set of guidelines that actually give our our everyone who works at RNZ more guidance on that. And I do think it's a good idea. And these are times when there is much more contention around uh, particular issues. Um, and I think the other thing that the um, Independent Review Panel report uh, proposes, which is really useful, is this idea of, in effect, doing spot checks of how we're covering particular issues, which we haven't done in the past. So, What,
1: what sorts of issues do you think might be so, worth looking at? Um, I
0: guess you could have looked at our coverage of the Ukraine war. Come in and just do a, a check of how we covered it. Have we achieved balance? Is there any issue around the sources of material we're using? How is our accuracy? Has there been a pattern of complaints? And I think that's a really good idea. And this is
1: in-house you're talking about?
0: Yeah, it will be in-house, yeah. I mean, you could use outside people and it wouldn't necessarily be a problem if you did, but I'd like to be able to resource that in-house. And that's one of the
1: things the new um, person responsible for our editorial policy and standards would do. The report panel suggests areas to look at. For example, due impartiality in terms of determining the weight to be attached to differing perspectives, uh, determining how representative or widely held key views are when covering a certain story, ensuring that particular views are not overrepresented or underrepresented. I mean, if you start building those into editorial policies, doesn't it open up the opportunity for people to challenge it if they feel that views important to them aren't being adequately represented? As some people have said about those so-called pro-Russian or anti-Western views about the Ukraine war, which ended up in the stories that were at the heart of this review? Well, those criticisms, that feedback's
0: already there because, you know, everyone's watching everything we do and some issues are a particular flashpoint for the community. Um, Our coverage of the Middle East would be another example of it. Those debates are already there and I think there is merit in, as an organisation, us
1: getting better at getting our heads around how we make sure that we're achieving that balance. Doesn't that make journalists' job harder? Because if they're thinking, well, we have to now second-guess the amount of weight to attach to differing perspectives, that makes it really hard. Look, we haven't
0: written the policy, so we haven't determined uh, what the changes will be, and we are a a very pragmatic organisation. We couldn't create a policy which would be impossible for our our staff to achieve, and it may end up being quite a, a simple change. I think what the outcome would be is... Just a bit more thoughtfulness and a few more tools to make those quite difficult decisions at times around achieving balance. That can be across the day and across a wide range of content or within a particular item.
1: Or I don't think it's a bad thing at all that we give our, our people a bit more guidance there. In the end, the all the recommendations, more than twenty from the report, uh, some as you say had already been things that were considered and possibly already in train. But um, how long do you think it will be? The entire process for the full adoption of all these things is this something that's going to take years?
0: Uh, no, it can't take years. So we'll get uh, some of them underway immediately, and I think we'll be well advanced by the end of the year. Some of them, like. Putting in new editorial systems, which again is in our plan, um, will take a little bit longer. But I would have thought by this time next year, um, we'll be, have completed the bulk of the work across the
1: 22 recommendations. In the end, some people will look at this and say, so much fuss, thick end of a quarter of a million bucks, and it was one person and working in a small area of the organisation. Maybe it wasn't necessary to have this level of uh, introspection, and it's something that could have been reasonably easily fixed.
0: Well, I think for very good reasons, we decided we'd front up and we'd do the independent review. That's the only way that you can remove any doubt that there's any lingering issues that we haven't resolved. But I could have been sitting here and there would still have been questions whether it's all been flushed out. It's all been flushed out. The recommendations themselves, there's nothing dramatic in them. They are sensible, um, they're pragmatic, and what we need to do now Um, is make sure we use this as an opportunity to make ourselves even stronger. That's the only thing we can do.